Good morning. Good morning. Everyone doing okay? Yeah, good. Hey, before I forget, I don't know if Greg had already said something about it. Um, so we had our community yard day yesterday. We've been doing that for years where we just go out and mow people's grass and mulch and clean up and stuff like that. Over 500 people showed up yesterday to help do that. So thank you if you're one of those. That's And um, let me tell you why those kinds of days are so important. One, it's just good for us as Christians to be nice people and do nice things for people, whether there's anything in it for us or, or not. Um, but it's bigger than that. Yesterday, there was an older gentleman that lives right down the street, um, gave his life to Jesus Christ for the first time, right? Because he saw us out there mowing his grass. Fascinating, when you do nice things for people, like the Bible says, when you do good works and demonstrate God to people, that oftentimes people will give their life to God. So very, thank you very much. You guys are an amazing church. That's uh, one thing. Two, I'll just tell you a funny story. It's not funny. It's, I just want to tell you a story. Uh, it's the 11 o'clock. We have, we have all the time in the world. There's no more services. Uh, I've already preached three times. It's just, just, I'm the only thing that keeps you from lunch. Uh, no, but we, um, we went to, to Universal Studios this last week. We had never taken our kids. We had gone years ago, my wife and I, but, but since we've had kids, we haven't taken them. And we planned everything Monday. We left at the exact, you know, exact perfect time. Whenever I have to drive south, um, I would rather jab needles in my eyes than drive through Atlanta. And, um, but there's no other way to get to Orlando except you know, right through Atlanta. So, but we timed everything correctly. Zipped, Chattanooga kind of sucks to drive through now too, doesn't it? <laughs> Anyways, zipped through Chattanooga, zipped through Atlanta. Everything is going wonderfully, right? We make it in record time to Orlando. We get a little cocky with it, right? And then on the way back, we don't time it as well. Took us 16 hours to get back from Orlando. Uh, but it was a good teachable moment. I leaned back to my, my two kids. I have a 13-year-old and nine-year-old, and it took us four hours to get through Atlanta. And I leaned back and I said, kids, uh, this is why we're Christians, because if you're not, you have to spend eternity on 285 <laughs> in Atlanta. Did I just equate Atlanta to hell? Maybe I did. Maybe I did. Maybe I went there. Sorry if you're from there. <laughs> Shouldn't have said that. Uh, so we're working through a book of the Bible called 1 Corinthians. If you've never been here, this is what we do. We go through whole books of the Bible. Been working through this one for a couple of months. Uh, listen, the entire Bible is, is pertinent and it's there for a reason. The book of 1 Corinthians, and I've taught it a couple of times over the years, uh, this book is probably more relevant to, to us now than, than it ever has been. It is extremely relevant. It's a book of the Bible written from a guy named Paul. It was a letter to a church in Southern Greece. And he wrote two letters to this church because what was taking place is this is a group of people who, who professed to follow Jesus. They had access to the word of God. They had access to good leadership. They, again, had, had professed their faith in Christ um, but what they were doing is they were, they were going away, they were, they were getting astray off of the truth, and they were switching back to following culture. And because they were leaning more on the culture of their time than the truth of Jesus Christ, there was all kinds of chaos that started to ensue. I have probably said the word culture more in the last two months than I've ever said in my life. But if you were to ask me, what is the cancer of our society? Why is everything the way it is right now? We have a culture problem. And that's exactly what was going on in the city of Corinth in about the, the mid-50s, about 55, 56 AD, when Paul wrote this letter. So last week, we were doing chapter nine. Chapter nine says a lot of very fascinating stuff. But what it ends on is Paul is talking to this, this young church in Corinth, and he says, your faith is like a marathon. Your faith is like a boxing match. And the reason why he attributed uh, our faith to a marathon or a boxing match is he says it's hard. If we're being honest, it's hard to be a Christian sometimes. We have to be disciplined. We have to be self-controlled. We have to keep our eyes on Christ or we will easily get, get, get caught going off the, the, the proper path. So he says it's like running a marathon. It's like fighting a fight, sacrifice, endurance. But he also says there is a great reward for that. Man, that last song we just sang this morning tears me up. Just the idea of, of seeing Jesus face to face and looking at him and this awesome reward of heaven. So that's what Paul talks about in chapter nine. In chapter 10, 
Paul's gonna give us a lot of history lessons, and we'll talk about that here in a second. But where we're gonna end in chapter 10 is this idea. Paul ends with a very provocative statement. He says, in everything you do, in everything you do, listen to that, everything, do it for the glory of God. In everything you do. And so that's where we're gonna end today. Very simple, very easy to understand, but sometimes the Bible is very easy to understand, but very hard to apply. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. Are we doing everything in our life, everything, for the glory of God, okay? So you should have received a notes handout at either door uh, when you walked in. Everything will be on the screens around the room. If you have a smartphone, the Experience Community app, just click on sermon notes and and you got everything there, scripture and, and notes. If you have a physical copy of the Bible or right after the book of Romans, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And um, I think you'll find it, find this chapter very, very interesting. It sounds very, very relevant to us today, okay? So let me pray. We'll dive into this and, um, and uh, try to get you out of here at a decent time, okay? Father, Lord, we love you. God, I thank you so much for this church. Lord, I love, love this group of people. Thank you for their hearts. Thank you, God, for their, their servant uh, servant-mindedness, God. Lord, I just pray that you keep your hand on our church, Lord. We need you now more than we've ever needed you, Lord. God, we pray not just for our church, we pray for every single church in our city, as long as they follow the Bible, God. Lord, we, we pray for all the great nonprofits we get to work with, Lord. We pray, God, that your word not only touches our hearts and, and, and educates us and brings us closer to you, we pray, God, that as we study your word today, that it honors you, Lord, and that it blesses you. Father, thank you again. Thank you for the freedom that we have to do what we're doing right now. It's a blessing that we take for granted. Thank you for this comfortable room that we're in. Um, You're good, God, and we thank you. Keep your hand on us today as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm gonna read a little bit. We'll go back and break it down, and I'll do my best to, to kind of fill in the blanks, okay? Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate from the same spiritual food and all drank from the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them since they were struck down in the wilderness. Now, if you haven't been here, Paul not only started the church in Corinth, right? He loved these people. And when you love someone, sometimes you have to apply tough love. Sometimes you have to speak brashly or harshly. And our problem is, is we have a tendency to get offended very, very easily in our culture. But if someone is looking out for your best interests, if they love you, it is wise to accept that criticism, okay? So Paul was concerned with this group of Christians, this is very important, because they were neglecting the Old Testament. Now there's a lot of Christians nowadays who think the Old Testament is irrelevant. They don't even bother to read it, and that's very, very foolish. And so many times, Jesus brings up the Old Testament, Paul brings up the Old Testament, Peter brings up the Old Testament, James brings up the Old Testament, and if they bring it up, we should probably go back and read it. The reason why is it tells us of our history. And so Paul says, look, if you would have read your Old Testament, right, you would know that the Israelites were doing a lot of the same mistakes that you guys are falling into now. And that kind of sets the stage for this whole chapter. Now, two important principles that we're gonna talk about a couple of times today. One I just said, we should be able to receive tough love from people that care for us without getting so offended. Not only that, we should have a desire to learn where we came from, history, within the proper context. So we have a thing going on right now in our society called revisionist history, right? Where we go back and rewrite things for the sake of it looking culturally relevant to us today. And that is dangerous because when we live our lives overly sensitive to criticism and when we live our lives negligent of knowing history, because often if we're being honest as Americans, right? We just think we're more evolved than the people that came before us. And when we neglect where we came from, when we neglect history, It makes us arrogant, it makes us dangerous, it makes us self-destructive. 
And that's what we're going through right now. But we live in a culture now where we're like, well, yes, it's failed every other time for the last 4,000 years of human history, but we're gonna make it work this time, right? Because we're special, right? Because we're more enlightened, because we're smarter than everyone else that has come before us. And it's quite arrogant. And this is what the Christians in Corinth were doing. And so Paul was telling them, he says, you guys don't need to be arrogant because you, you, you are Christians because in the Old Testament, the same spirit that you're experiencing, they experienced the same thing when they were coming out of Egypt on their way to the promised land. That God opened up the sky and dropped down manna from heaven so they could eat. He opened up a rock and water flowed out of it so they could live. And all of these things in the Old Testament, these miraculous things, were a foreshadowing of the provision that Jesus would give us. So here's the thing. The more we grow in our relationship with God, the more we read and study the word of God, the more we learn about theology and doctrine. That should not make us arrogant. That should make us more humble. Because the more we learn about God, the more we understand that we don't know as much as we think we know. And whenever you have like arrogant theologians, you guys have those, any of those arrogant theologian friends, right? They just know how to pronounce that Greek word a little bit more accurately than you. And when, when people become arrogant theologians, there's an oxymoron that takes place. Because the more we learn about God, the more it should humble us. Because the more we learn about God, the more we realize there's nothing good in us apart from him, right? And that should humble us and kind of set us back a little bit in our humility. So just because the Israelites, I love what Paul says here. He says, look, they saw miracles of God. The evidence of God was around them. They were delivered out of Egypt. They saw the Red Sea part. They saw God in a pillar of, of fire and a cloud of smoke. They saw all of these things. But because they were not obedient to God, because they didn't have a personal relationship with God, they still died in the desert. They didn't make it. So here's the thing. We often say that we are followers of Jesus, but if we are not obedient, if we do not have a relationship with him that has the fruit and evidence of obedience and trust, we're also gonna die in the desert. Listen, just because we've been delivered out of Egypt doesn't mean we're all gonna make it to the promised land. We have to live a life that, how do you say that, Corey? Because Paul is essentially saying that right here, right? Just because God brought them out because of their lack of obedience and their lack of trust, they did not make it to the promised land. And Paul was saying, that's just how you guys are acting. Not you, the Corinthians, right? Not, never you guys. So listen, let me, let me tell you a little bit about this picture real quick and why I used it. It's just a, a fun uh, English lesson real quick. When I was getting my undergrad in English lit, um, I, I became a huge Ray Bradbury fan, Fahrenheit 451, and he was a writer for The Twilight Zone. There was eventually a TV show called The Ray Bradbury Hour. He was a science fiction writer in the 50s and 60s. I chose this picture to, to show idolatry because there was a science fiction magazine in the 1950s that interviewed Ray Bradbury, and they said, Ray Bradbury, what do you think humans will be like in the distant future? He said a lot of interesting things, right? One of the things he said that I think is extremely interesting for our time is he said, I see people becoming so enamored with their own image that seeing themselves will sexually arouse them. Think of the culture you live in, guys. He said, I would see, he goes, I see people in the future looking at mirrors or looking at their reflection on the bus or the train and being obsessed with their own image. The word of the year, I think for 2016 was selfie. And this guy said this in the 1950s, right? Interesting stuff, okay. Did I already just read that part? Did I? No, I haven't, have I? All right, let's read it, it's important. I'm talking so much about Ray Bradbury. Now, these things took place as examples for us so that we will not desire evil things as they did. Don't become idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and they got up to party. Let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in a single day, 23,000 people died. Let us not test Christ as some of them did and were destroyed by snakes. And don't complain as some of them did and were killed by the destroyer. These things happened to them as examples and they were written for our instruction on whom the ends of the ages have come. 
So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. That's a good one. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. So Solomon, the wisest man who's ever lived, said there is nothing new under the sun. So five times, Paul brings up history to show examples of how the people of God fell because they desired the things of the world more than they desired the things of God. Now, if you haven't been here, all of this is kind of relating back to this idea of eating meat that is sacrificed to idols. We'll talk about that here in a second if you have no idea what I'm talking about there. His point is this. When we pursue what we want, when we put our freedoms, comforts, pleasures above everything else, Paul is saying what we're doing is we are making ourselves gods. We are making ourselves idols. And if one were to ask me, who is the prevailing God of the United States? It is the God of self. It is the God of individual, right? That's who we worship the most in our culture. And so Paul says what they were doing is they would just eat, drink, and they'd party, right? It was all about pleasure. It was all about themselves. It was all, you know, just like our culture now, everyone believes that, that life is a movie where they're the main character and everyone else is a supporting role. That's how they were acting. And he goes back to Exodus chapter 32. If you've never read Exodus chapter 32, the Israelites had come out of Egypt. They're on their way to the promised land. Moses, they stop. Moses goes up on the mountain to receive the 10 commandments from God. And what do the people do? Do they pray for their leader, right? Do they fast? Do they, do they study the scripture? No, they get all their material possessions together, melt them into a big golden calf, and they worship something that they created because they think that because the leader's gone, that, that there's no accountability that they can get away with everything. And what this story tells us is one, we're all prone to worshiping material possessions if we're not careful. Not only that, we often think that because no one's watching at three o'clock in the morning that I can do whatever I want. And we forget that God is always watching. God always sees us. And this is our culture, is it not? Worshiping the things that we create, worshiping the things we own, thinking that we have no accountability around us. And this can be all of us if we're not careful. I can fall into this. If I'm not close enough to Christ, if I'm not close enough to Christian community, all of us can fall into this trap. And Paul says, the reason why we have to go back and study our history is the people lived for themselves. And when we live for ourselves and not for God and others, there is death because the wages of sin is always death. In this point, it was literal death. In the book of Numbers, he says, God sent plagues to the people because they were taking part in pagan rituals and fertility rituals. That means having a lot of sex in the name of foreign gods. And they would sacrifice animals and they were doing all of this crazy stuff. And Paul says, listen, these are written down to, to teach us. If we go back and read, we, again, we think that humanity has changed. It has not changed. We keep falling to the same things. And Paul is saying, if we would go back and study where we came from, maybe we would learn not to fall in this trap anymore. Because if we keep falling into this trap, there are consequences for sin. There is sometimes literal death and there is always spiritual death, right? If we continue on in sin and don't turn back to God. Another thing that Paul warns us about is he warns us that we don't need to complain so often, right? So the, the, the Israelites, let's, let's pick on them for a second and then let's turn it back on our culture. The Israelites were delivered from slavery. God parted the Red Sea. He dropped food from heaven. He gave them water from a rock. They saw a pillar of fire at night, a cloud of smoke during the day. And all they could do is complain about all that provision. In fact, if you go back and read the Old Testament, they complain so much. They're like, God, we're sick of you dropping bread from, from heaven. Can you give us meat? Go back and read your Bible. God says, no, I can give you meat. Drops a bunch of dead birds all over them, right? Says that they get sick and it's coming out of their nostrils and they're vomiting. God's like, you wanted it. Boom, there it is. 
And this is kind of, again, the culture we live in, is it not? We live in the most free, prosperous nation ever recorded on paper. And we're the most entitled group of people you'll ever meet. It's never enough for us. And when we take our freedoms, when we take our giftings, when we as Christians take our salvation for granted, we are testing God's patience. That's the Bible. So we need to keep our complaining to a minimal because listen, here's the thing, God owes you and I nothing, nothing at all. So we need to be appreciative about all the wonderful things that we have. God has blessed us so much. The root of this though, the, 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 the root of this problem is the pursuit of self. That is the root of the problem. I love what Paul says. Paul says, whoever thinks they stand, be careful not to fall. Basically what this is saying is whenever you get prideful, watch out. You're about to tumble, you're about to fall. And this happens not just with atheists and agnostics that don't think they need a God, right? This goes for overly confident Christians that think because we prayed a prayer at camp when we were 12, that I can live like hell and God turns a blind eye. That's a false sense of security. And it's not biblical, quite frankly. And so we live in this overconfidence and we live for ourselves, even though we say that we're living for God. And here's the thing, the, the path to destruction, the path to chaos, the path to everything falling apart is following self first. And we live in this culture and I see it all the time, even amongst Christians. People say, man, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just trying to figure out me. I'm just learning about me. I'm just doing me. I'm just taking care of me. And that's completely antithetical to the New Testament. John the Baptist said, less of me, more of him. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and then all those things will be taken care of. Here is the brass tacks of it all. It is impossible to understand the creation if we don't know who the creator is. If you wanna understand what your value and your purpose and your place is, understand who he is because we're made in his image. But whenever I hear Christians go, man, I'm just trying to figure out me. I'm like, well, you're on a bad road. Figure, tr try to figure out God, learn about God, study about God, and you will understand more about you. You will understand your value, your origin, your purpose, your meaning. Everyone's looking for the meaning of life and this, that's what this whole book's about, right? to understand who we are in God. And when we pursue self, we do tremendous damage, tremendous damage. So what do we do? It's simple. We take our eyes off this idol and we set our eyes on the true God. It's the only way we escape the fall. So Paul writes a very famous scripture. We, we talk about this a lot. Oftentimes it's used out of context, but he talks about temptation or how do we escape the temptation to, to, to make idols, right? First, Paul says there is no temptation that's unique to you. We, we do this a lot too, don't we? Oh, I'm the only one going through this. There are 8 billion people on planet earth. You're not the only one going through it. You're not the only one in history to have gone through it. Nothing you experience is unique or exclusive just to you or I. That's the first thing. Second, because God knows and sees everything, God can help us if we will just lean on him. He will help us escape temptation. That doesn't mean that we can hang around temptation because the Bible says to get away from it. So listen, if you're tempted with pornography, I advise you don't have your laptop open alone in your house at three o'clock in the morning. That's foolish. Oh, I don't know why I keep falling. Why doesn't God help me? He's trying to help you, but you're being dumb about it. Like shut the laptop, get rid of it. Plug your phone up in another room. I don't know, put salt, whatever you gotta do. Get away from it. There are some times when we cannot get away from the temptation. And in those moments, we need to pray about it. God, help me with this. And then we need to trust that if we will just rely on him, God will deliver us. He will make the means for us to escape that pitfall. But listen, we have to put distance between us and evil. And that leads to the next part. So then my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I am speaking as to sensible people. That sounds a little passive aggressive. Judge for yourselves what I'm saying. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body since all of us share the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. 
Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? What am I saying then? That food sacrificed to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, but I do say that what they sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. Let me pause there for a second. What Paul is saying is there are no other gods. There's demons that pose as other gods. This is offensive. But whenever you study Hinduism and they believe in 300,000 gods, there are not 300,000 gods. Those are demonic manifestations. And I know that's really an offensive thing to say in our culture, but that's exactly what the Bible is saying here. There are no other idols. There's demons and there's God, right? I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot share in the table or the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or are we provoking the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? There's a lot here. The first thing is this, very practically speaking. In chapter six, Paul says, if you struggle with sexual sin, run away from it. Here, Paul says, if you struggle with idol worship, putting anything in front of God, run away from it, get away from it. We have to intentionally distance ourselves from the things that we are tempted to put more time, energy, resources in than God. So occasionally, listen, occasionally we have to give up rights for our own good. So I have the right to look at a laptop at three o'clock. I'm never up at three o'clock in the morning. I have the right to look at my laptop at three o'clock in the morning, but I forfeit that right because I know I'm a man and I could end up looking at something stupid. So I don't bring my laptop home and I don't look at it at three o'clock in the morning, right? So I forfeit that right to protect myself. I, I try to run away from that. That's what he's saying here. He also says, so, so we forfeit rights for, for our own protection. He also talks about unity, that we are unified, us, if you're a Christian, in our love for God. We're also supposed to be unified in our love for each other. So if I love you and I'm doing something that causes you to stumble, I will also forfeit that right. I will forfeit that right for my own sake and I will forfeit that right for your sake as well. We've been talking about this for about a month, this whole forfeiting your rights for the good of other people. And here's why he says we are to do this. That though we may, we, we may be able to go to places, though we may, may be able to hang out with certain people, though we may be able to have the right to look at our laptop at three, whatever the case may be, we are not to partake in things that are evil. Because here's what Paul is saying. When we claim to be followers of Jesus, right? We're walking this way, but we partake in evil things, he says we are claiming to do the opposite of following Jesus and there's only two things. There is God and there is the devil, right? And we, we, are, we are walking in the way of, of demonic influence if we do that. So practically speaking, this is what Paul is teaching us here. I hope all of you in this room have friends that are not believers. I hope you have atheist friends. I hope you have friends that live lifestyles that the Bible doesn't condone. I hope you have friends that are Hindu and Buddhist and Muslim. I hope you have these friends. I hope you get coffee with them. I hope you spend time with them. I hope you build a relationship with them in the hopes of showing them Jesus and them eventually uh, knowing who Jesus Christ is. So what, what we are not to do though is to partake in things that non-believers do that is sinful or put ourselves in situations that may compromise our integrity. I told you guys last week, I think I told this service, um, about a year or two ago, and it's been about two years ago, I had coffee with the curator from the Satanic Temple in Salem, Massachusetts. We became kind of friends, right? That's I can't think of anyone that I'm more diametrically, theologically opposed to than this individual. We sat down, we had coffee, we talked for a long time. I've actually hung out with him several times when I was up in Massachusetts, and, and it was cool, it was good. We talked about all kinds of things, learned a lot about him, and at the end of this coffee time that we had, if he would have been like, oh yeah, hey, Corey, I'm, I'm going to a black mass, they're gonna lay a you know, naked virgin on this thing, and we're gonna do these seances, you wanna come with? At that point, I'm like, no, no, that's not a good place for me to be. Now, I know that seems like a ridiculous, radical thing, but if you're a woman in this room, right, and you have a non-believing girlfriend, you have coffee with her, you go to movies with her, you know, you're, you're pouring into her life. And then she goes, hey, I'm going to this crazy wild party in Nashville. We're all gonna get wasted and there's a bunch of good looking dudes there. Then you cross a line to where you're going into a place that you shouldn't go. 
You're, you're starting to dabble with things that are evil at that point. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You, you're crossing a line at this point. Be reasonable, use wisdom in these kinds of moments. Because here's what happens. This is so important. Paul is talking about this on two levels. He says on a literal level, as Christians, we take communion, the Lord's Supper, all the way around this room where there's a lamp on a table, there's bread and wine that represents the body and blood of Jesus. On a literal level, Paul is saying, if we get up and take that, and we are knowingly committing sinful actions in our life, we are taking that as condemnation against ourselves. We are trying to sit at the Lord's table and also sit at the devil's table. That's what Paul is saying. Not just with literal communion, this is what else he's saying. We are, or should be, communing as Christians with Jesus every day. So when we claim to be followers of Jesus, but we are knowingly committing sinful acts, listen, when we are trying to receive the benefits of the cross, but we are committing the same acts that put Jesus on the cross, we are basically spitting on what Christ has done for us. And this is why Jesus says, no man can serve two masters. You will either love one or hate the other or love this one and hate this one. We cannot serve both. But when we call ourselves Christians, but we knowingly live in sin, we're trying to serve two masters. We are, we are dabbling in very dangerous stuff when we do that, okay? All right, last part. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. Let that one soak in for a second. Eat everything that is sold in the meat market without raising questions for the sake of conscience, since the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If any of the unbelievers invites you over and you want to go, eat everything that's set before you without raising questions for the sake of conscience. But if someone says to you, this food is from a sacrifice, do not eat it out of consideration from the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your own conscience, but the other person's. For why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? If I partake with thanksgiving, why am I criticized because of, someone for, uh, because of something for which I gave thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many so that they may be saved. Listen, there's very important stuff here. Paul repeats a very profound statement that we have talked about a lot in the last couple of months. Just because we're allowed to do something doesn't always mean that it's a wise thing to do. He adds to this statement by saying, not everything builds up. And then he says something very, very profound, to put other people's preferences or to put other people in front of yourself. Look out, not for the good of yourself, but for the good of the other person. So look, if you're new in this room and you're not a Christian, this yellow part right here is Christianity in a, in a very short, pithy paragraph. We are to put God first. We are to enjoy the freedoms that God has given us as long as it doesn't cause others to stumble in their faith. And we are to seek the greater good of those around us. That's it. Put God first. Enjoy the freedoms that God has given you as long as it doesn't cause others to stumble. And put uh, uh, or, or, or and seek the greater good of people around you. And so Paul says this. We're told to enjoy the things of this life as long as the Bible allows it, right? And we do this without raising questions for the sake of conscience. What that means is this. We have to live in wisdom. We have to live above reproach. We have all these freedoms, but we just wanna make sure that we don't tempt others or that we don't cause other people to be confused or to sin because maybe that other person is not as mature in their faith as you are. Uh, we keep using the example of alcohol. I have no problem because the Bible doesn't have any problem with you having a glass of wine or, or drinking a beer with your pizza and your friends as long as you don't get intoxicated and as long as you don't cause that guy that just, you know, he's 30 days sober, if you don't cause him to relapse, 
if you don't cause him to, to mess up and slip back into addiction. So we just have to be wise. We just have to be cautious. Another thing that Paul says that I think is very, very interesting. He says, listen, if a non-believing friend invites you over and makes you a bunch of food, Paul says, eat it, eat it all, right? Again, it sounds like I'm picking on, on, on Hindu people today. I'm not, but it's a good example. Let's say you have a really good Hindu friend, right? And, and you come over and they've made you just all this wonderful Indian food. And they all set it out in front of you. And they say, hey, welcome to our home. We've made all of this great food for you. Paul says, eat it. In fact, he says, eat it because that, that's how you're being a good guest, right? In many countries, if you've been out of the country, if you don't eat what they put in front of you, it's very disrespectful. So, so Paul goes, eat it, right? Eat the food that's in front of you. But then Paul says something interesting. He says, if they walk out and they put all the food in front of you, they say, here's all the food. We dedicated this all to Krishna. At that point, Paul says, don't eat it. Why? It's still the same food. Paul says, it's not because of your sake. You know that there's no Krishna. You know that there's no other God except for God. You say no to that food dedicated to their God in the hopes that it will strike up a conversation with them about the real God. Can I put it in really practical terms that may, that may hurt someone's feelings? It's like, we just have to talk real. It's like if you have a really good gay friend, right? And I have several in my life. And they say, hey, we're about to get married. Will you come to the wedding? Listen, I love you. I'll hang out with you. I'll eat dinner with you. I cannot go to something that celebrates this thing that I don't agree with. I can't do that. And listen, you may lose a friend when you do that. I might've lost one this morning when I said that. I'm not joking. I'm sure someone will say something hateful. I'm sure someone will write something about it. But Paul says, even at the risk of losing that relationship, you have to speak the truth. Why? Because one, it honors God. And B, it may be the best thing that person has ever heard. For you, everyone's good, right? You guys care more about what God thinks about you than what social, okay, I'm just wondering. It's tough, guys, and we have to be honest about how tough it is because we're not always gonna be the most popular. That's why Jesus says, hey, listen, don't be surprised when they hate you because they hated me first and I'm perfect, right? Okay. He ends this chapter with this. Whatever you do, look, look at what Paul says. If you go to your Hindu friend's house and they present it all in front of you, if you decide to eat all the food, do it to the glory of God. If you decide to abstain from it, do it for the glory of God. And Paul says, do everything for the glory of God. Everything. Listen to how enormous that phrase is. That means how we work at our jobs honors or dishonors God. Do you know the Bible says in multiple, multiple times that we're not to be slothful in business, that we're to work is unto the Lord. But Corey, my boss sucks. Well, ultimately that's not your boss, he is. And you work as unto him, right? We need to, Christians need to be the hardest, most honest employees wherever you work. Even, even when it comes to things like sports, and listen, I hope this doesn't offend anyone either. I don't think God cares about sports. I get a kick out of people who are like, man, we've been praying to win this game. And I'm like, the other team's been praying the exact same thing, right? So like, I don't think God cares who necessarily wins, even though it seems like he favors Tom Brady. But um, <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think God, hey, stop. Anyways, <laughs> I like Tom Brady. Um, even though I don't think God necessarily like favors one team over another, God cares about you and God gave you those abilities to play baseball or football, or whatever. And I think God expects us to do our best with those talents. And with that influence and with that affluence, we can make a statement for God. So when we play sports, do it to the best of your ability in a way that honors God. How we lead our families, how you raise your children. Listen, those of you who are parents in this room, Whenever you have kids, man, time speeds up exponentially. And you only have this little bitty window. I hope my oldest isn't watching right now from home. She was here last night, so maybe she's not. But we were walking around Universal Studios and she's 13 and she's almost as tall as me. And I would be walking and it's just the most wonderful thing. She'd walk up and she'd just grab my arm, right? And walk with me and I'm sitting there and I'm like, I hope this never goes away. You know, like this is so wonderful, but being conscious to lead our children, to lead our spouse, to, to be the kind of spouse that we need to be that honors God. Listen, if you're a student in this room, 
Both my kids, I'm proud of them. They both go to very, very uh, uh, tough schools to get into and I'm very, very proud of them. But I tell them all the time, listen, if a C is your best, I'm 100% happy with a C, as long as it's your best. If, if as long as you're doing it for the glory of God, as long as you're not being lazy, if you make straight C's, I'm fine with that, fine with that. But as students even, we need to do our best. How we treat others, man, that's hard, isn't it? That, that, that being patient with people, being loving with people, but in everything we do, we are to honor God in everything we do. Let's go back to the beginning and I'll, I'll touch on that one more time before we leave. Two lessons that we talked about today. One, if we are to mature as Christians, we have to be willing to receive criticism from people who care about us. Listen, some criticism, you just need to let it go, right? Some people just like to critique everything. Let it go. But if it's someone that has poured into you, if it's someone that, that cares for you and loves you, even if they scream in your face, right? right? Even if they have to, to slap your hand. Going back to sports, those of you who played sports, the best coaches you ever had are the ones that yell at you because you're not living up to your potential. Those are the best coaches you'll ever have. Listen to that. Don't be so offended by that. It is through hard conversations that we tend to grow the most. So, don't shy away from tough love. The second thing is, know where you came from. Know your history. If you're reading the Bible, don't neglect the Old Testament. Don't neglect history in general, right? You guys, if you come here for any length of time, I, I, I absolutely love Roman history. Not because they were good people, they were not. Um, but we are going through, we're doing all the same things that they were doing. I'm reading a book right now called The Ten Caesars. It's absolutely fascinating to read how the leadership of Rome did over all these years and fascinating things. And it's, I find it also fascinating that right now, most of the cultures in the world are acting just like Rome. And the Bible says in the book of Daniel that the last empire will be called a revised Rome. But it's interesting when we don't study history, we don't know. We don't know that we're falling back into the same trap over and over and over again. We also need to be careful. We talked about this today. We have freedom. We are to enjoy this life, but we have to be careful. We are, we are called to enjoy this life, but we are, all, we are also called to live holy. And I'm gonna tell you, if you live holy, even though it's not always easy, you'll feel better. When, when there's not that guilt and shame in your life because you're doing sinful things, it just makes life better. It's not easy, but it's better. Enjoy this life but live holy. When we claim to know Christ, but we willingly participate in sinful things or we compromise our biblical integrity, it sounds extreme, but it's truth. We are dabbling with demonic forces. It is impossible to believe in God and not believe in the devil. It is impossible to believe in the word of God and not believe in a hell, not believe in demonic oppression, possession, all those things are real. Probably more often and more real than most of us give credit for. We fight a spiritual battle. That means we need to pray. We fight not against flesh and blood. We fight against principalities. We fight, uh, fight against darkness. And whenever we take of the Lord's Supper, literally and in our relationship, and we participate in sinful things, we are dabbling in a lot of evil. We are also called to love and protect others. As we enjoy our freedoms, we have to be mindful of our brother and sister. We're not only united in our love for Jesus, we're united in our love for each other. And I'm to look out for you. The rhetorical question in, in the book of Genesis, right? When it says, am I my brother's keeper? Yes, yes you are. We are to look out for each other, right? We are to be looking out for each other. Here's where we have to be honest. Listen, we have to be honest. You have to be honest with yourself. We can fool everyone in this room, but we will never fool God. If we are honest, is there anything in our lives that we put in front of God? Anything. They don't even have to be evil things. Do we put our job in front of God? Do we put our spouse in front of God? Do we put our children in front of God? Do we put our dreams and our hopes in front of God? What do we put in front of God? Not only that, do we trust God with every aspect of our life? Do you trust God with your finances? Do you trust God with your family? It's hard if you're a parent in here, isn't it? 
to let your 13 and nine-year-old go off into a real world, have to have conversations every single day, literally every day about things that are going on in the world. But we have to trust, I have to trust that God ultimately, these kids aren't mine, they're yours. We have to trust God in that. Do you trust God with your marriage? If not, what are we trusting more than we're trusting God? Is it the economy? Is it the government? Boy, I hope not. Listen, is it entertainment? Is it culture? Is it what they say on your real feed? What do we trust more? What are we putting our stock into? Let me ask you this. Whose desires are we pursuing? I got saved in August of 2002. I was about to turn 23 years old, about to graduate college. My wife got saved about six months after I did. We had been broken up and um, I was suicidal. I had tried to take my life the first week of August in uh, 2002, and that's when I came to know God. At that time, or right before my wife and I broke up, my wife was raised in Europe. She was born in Europe and lived in Europe uh, uh, most of her childhood. And we always talked about when we graduated college, we never thought we'd end up in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, that when we, when we graduate, we're gonna go to Europe. We're, we didn't think we could ever have children because my wife had some, some health issues. And so we're just gonna move over to Europe. We're gonna do us, right? We're gonna travel around. I'll teach English. She'll be a biologist. We'll do all these things. We'll just, we'll just live that life that we wanted to live. We both got saved and clear as a bell, clear as a bell. God said, you're, you're not gonna leave Murfreesboro. And there were times, right, where I can get selfish and I'm like, wish I could have gone here or lived there or done this. But listen, if I would have shut that voice of God out and pursued what I wanted more than what God wanted me to do, you and I wouldn't be sitting in this room right now. This church has baptized four or 5,000 people over the years. Who's to say if they would have got saved? If I would have pursued my desires over God's, an older man down the street may not have given his life to Jesus because you guys went out and mowed his yard. You can go on and on. I probably wouldn't have my children. I probably wouldn't be married. How many things, and that's just me. Think about your life. The, the, the question comes up, do we believe what the Bible says in the book of Jeremiah that he has even greater plans for us than we have for ourselves? And we have a tendency to, to, to make our plans. God stamp off on this. And God's like, I don't want to stamp off on that because I have something better for you if you just trust me. And think of all the places he would take us and think of all the amazing things that we'll get to do if we just pursue his dreams for us, his desires for us. But the problem is, is we think that we know better. We don't say that, but that's what we're doing. Are we striving to distance ourselves from things that will get us off of the pursuit of God and the pursuit of God's desires for us? Listen, not just sinful stuff. If the devil can't get you to sin, he's just gonna get you distracted. And boy, he's doing a good job of it in our culture now, is he not? Right? Are we doing a good job of putting down the phone, turning off the television, turning off the radio, right? getting quiet with God? Are we doing a good job of cutting out those distractions? And last slide. If you and I in this room acknowledge that Jesus is our only hope, if you and I in this room acknowledge that the only good we can ever produce is, is, is God working through us, the only thing good about us is God in us. The Bible says this. There's nothing good apart from him. If we understand that, if we understand that we've been saved by grace, if we understand that the God of the universe looks down on all of you right now and he knows you and he loves you and he sent his son to die for you, if we know this, we should have a desire, even though we're gonna mess up at times, we should at least have the desire to do everything in our life in a way that honors him because he did everything to, 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 to do the best for us. So can you and I honestly say, my relationships honor God. My interactions with other people honor God. Can we honestly say that my work honors God? My school, how, how I do in school as a student, that that honors God. Can we say our leisure time honors God? Guys, it's tough, man. Even if you're playing in like a church softball league, right? We lose our tempers and people like get angry and we say things we shouldn't say and it's a game. 
Do we honor God in that? Do we honor God in our thoughts? You ever think about that one? Because he sees those too in every aspect of our lives. Listen, are we doing things and you don't need to be comparing yourself to other people. That's not what God's gonna do. God's not gonna compare you to what other people have done. God's going to hold you accountable by the potential that he put in you. I don't need to compare myself to you. I just need to be living up to the potential that God put in me. And if God has given me abilities and talents, if he has given me a strong back to do hard work, if he's given me empathy to be a good parent or whatever the, the, the strength is that God has given you, we need to make sure that we are doing all things excellent to the best of our abilities to honor God in everything we do. Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you are in this room and maybe you are not a believer or maybe you're a new believer, maybe you have questions, Pastor Greg, who did the announcements, he is over here on my right, your left, okay? If you are in this room, and, and, and if you're not a believer in here, I'm so glad you're here. I hope that something I said today was enlightening and, and, and provocative. And if you have any questions, please come up here and talk to Pastor Greg. He would love to talk with you, okay? There are also men and women on both sides of the stage. If you have any prayer requests, if you have you know, job issues or health issues or family issues, anything, please come up and let someone pray with you. The last thing is we have communion. Everywhere in this room where you see a lamp on a table, there's bread and wine, represents the body and blood of Jesus. If you have asked God to forgive you of your sins, today when you take that communion, just remember this. God gave his best for you and I, even while we were sinners. And listen, we're not gonna be perfect. We're not always gonna get it right. We're gonna make mistakes. We're gonna falter but we should want to do everything to the best of our ability to honor him back. Father, Lord, we love you. God, I love this church so much. God, I love this church so much. Father, I pray, Lord, that everything we talked about today, that it honored you, God. I pray, Lord, that it sharpens us and draws us closer to you, God. I pray, Lord, that you keep your hand on everyone who can hear my voice right now. God, protect them, keep them safe, touch their bodies, touch their minds, God. Lord, I just pray that when we leave this place and we go back out to whatever crazy, hectic world that we're a part of, God, Lord, I just pray that we're mindful that, that we owe you everything, God, that we wanna live lives that, that honor you, that reflect your heart, God. We love you, we thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, I love you so much. You're welcome to help yourself. Have a good weekend.